right now. We have an entire beautiful family all the way from the US of A with us here this morning. Pastor Sean and Diana Nepstad run a significant church in California. And, uh, and they're here today, not only just the two of them, they're here with their four beautiful daughters. Can we give the daughters a round of applause? Look at this family. And, uh, and these guys, uh, as I said, they run a significant church and uh, they've just seen, like in recent years, tenfold growth in their local church. Like, I'm talking like the chart's just gone through the roof. And uh, I've, uh, I've been, uh, we've had one chat on the phone. We've net, met this morning for the first time in the flesh. And I really like Pastor Sean already. I can tell we are going to love him. He's going to have a word for us here this morning. And uh, I just want us to get our hearts ready, get our Bibles open, be ready for the Word of God. Can we give Pastor Sean a really warm silver water welcome here this morning? Come on, let's give Jesus one big hand of praise, everybody. Come on. Uh, while you're standing, I wonder, you know, what God does in a house is very significant. And it's always amazing to me as we travel around and speak in different churches to see the different leadership that God allows to, to participate and to lead a significant movement here in Australia. And I think... You know, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And uh, we have no problem giving all the glory to God, but we have no problem honoring men that do great things for God. And I wonder, can we do something and honor the pastors of this house, Pastor Phil and Pastor Chris, but also Pastor Hartley and Pastor Natty. Come on, let's give them a big old round of applause. Way to go. You guys are strategic leaders. And uh, in our time together already, I just have fallen in love with your pastors. Don't you just love these guys? If you don't like them, there's something wrong with you. And uh, anyway, we're just so glad to be here, and uh, we're grateful. My wife and I, uh, we've been pastoring for a while now, and she's with me with my four beautiful daughters. And um, we have we had four girls under the age of two when they were first born. Try to wrap your mind around that. We had a four, a th- no, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and twins were zero. That's because we're such great planners. That's what that. Actually, you've seen a double stroller, like you've seen a double stroller. We had a triple stroller and one on a leash. <laughs> Don't judge me. I'd have put her on a shot collar if California would allow it. But it's difficult to try to keep all four girls together, but I'm so grateful that they're here. I love my family with all my heart. And it's so good, girls, to, to visit family around the globe. And uh, different culture, different faces, but the same spirit of Jesus in this house. So I'm so grateful to God to be here. Grab your seats on your way down. Why don't you turn and tell the person next to you, you have the coolest hair I have ever seen. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them. <laughs> turn and tell the second choice. Your hair looks pretty good too. I didn't mean to ignore you. Today I want you to grab your Bibles, grab your pens as we jump into a message entitled, Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. I would encourage you to take notes. The Bible says that 95% of people that take notes go to heaven. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that at all. But it will help you this week. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. God, we thank you so much for today. We pray that you'd speak to every life, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, Lord. I pray that you help us take the next step. In Jesus' name, somebody say good amen. The story is told of a chess champion on vacation in Europe. Not only was he a chess champion, but he was also an art connoisseur. 
He found himself one day on a day off in a local art gallery admiring the paintings on the wall, and he came to one particular painting that was no ordinary painting. It was a painting of a chess game. And on one side of the painting was a picture of the devil leaning back with a fiendish grin tapping his fingers on the table. On the other side of the board was a picture of a young man leaning forward in utter terror, clenching his teeth, wringing his hands, and a bead of sweat was dripping from his brow. The painting was entitled Checkmate. And it was apparent that this game was for this young man's soul, which he just lost. The chess champion stared at it and stared at it for several minutes. And finally, a caretaker at the, at the art gallery came walking by. And the chess champion said, excuse me, sir, you wouldn't happen to have an old chessboard laying around, would you? And the guy said, I think I might. Let me check. The guy went away, came back in five minutes later, and gave a chessboard to the chess champion. And the chess champion began to set up the board as an exact replica of the one in the painting. He looked down at the board, looked back over the picture. Look down at the board, look back up at the picture, look down at the board, look back up at the picture until every piece was precisely in its place. He stared at it for a few more minutes and then took a step back, folded his arms, and a smile came over the chess champion's face. And in the quiet hallways of a seemingly abandoned art gallery, he lifted up his voice and said, Young man in the painting, I sure wish you could hear me right now because I've got some good news. And I sure wish you could see what I see and I wish you could hear what I have to say because I want to let you know there is a move that the devil has missed. He has only thought he won, but there's another move on the board. I wish you could see what I see because if you could see what I see and hear what I've got to say, not only could I give you a move that would deliver you from defeat, it would give you the ultimate victory. In this story, we find the truth of history as we know it. That is that God, in the beginning of time, he created angels to express his glory. Well, Lucifer rebelled against the glory of God, wanting to share in it himself, and he took one-third of the angels with him in his rebellion. God, deciding not to rid himself of the devil and his cohorts, he created a lesser being called man, just a little lower than the angels. And this lesser being would be designed to show what God could do through a lesser creature who was dependent upon him over a greater creature who was in rebellion against him. This, my friends, led to the angelic conflict. Lucifer, whose name is now Satan, gets man to rebel against God, and the cosmic chess game begins to unfold. God's move on the cosmic chessboard is when he, 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 he decides that he's going to provide a redemptive sacrifice for Adam and Eve to cover their sins, and salvation enters human history for the first time. Of course, Satan's turn to move is when he gets Cain to kill Abel, to try and rid the world of the godly line so that Genesis 3.15 could never come true. Of course, that's when God responds by allowing Eve to become pregnant with a little boy named Seth. And the Bible says that the name of God was again heard on the lips of men. Of course, that's when Satan responds and gets the entire world to rebel against God through the influence of his demons. Of course, that's when God responds by finding a man named Noah and says, Noah, I want you to build a boat on dry ground during the daytime and print up some sermon tracts with a three-word sermon, It's going to rain, and pass those out in the evening time. And God would judge the world, save this one family. Of course, that's when Satan moves on the cosmic chessboard by getting one man named Nimrod who builds two civilizations, one of Assyria and one of Babylon, and bringing the two together, he would build a civilization independently of God, otherwise known or centralized around a religious ziggurat tower, otherwise known as the Tower of Babel, or what we now know is the religion of man, humanism. Of course, that's when God responds and confuses all their languages so they can't communicate anymore. God then goes on the offensive. He turns around and he says, I will find a man named Abraham in a city named Ur. And I said, he said to Abraham, I will build my own nation through you that will obey. 
Of course, that's when Satan responds, and he gets, he gets Abraham's descendants trapped in Egypt for 400 years to a man named Pharaoh in slavery. Of course, that's when God responds, goes bound to a city named Midian, and he finds a man named Moses and says, go set my people free. That's when Satan responds by getting God's people trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. But, of course, that's when God responds and opens up the Red Sea and God's people walk across on dry ground. As a matter of fact, the entire Old Testament seems to be move, counter move, move, counter move. God moves, and then Satan responds, and then God responds to Satan's move. And by the end of the Old Testament, it looks like we have a tie. There is no clear winner. As a matter of fact, from the last page of your Old Testament to the first page of your New Testament, there are 400 silent years where God doesn't say a word. Both sides sit down and look at the board. Evidently, it's God's turn to move when the New Testament opens up because the Bible says that so-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who gave birth to Joseph, who was married to Mary, who was born Jesus Christ. See, up until this point, God had always found a man and used a man. This time, God said, I'm tired of all this mess. Let me come on down here and handle this punk myself. So Jesus now enters human history, and everything begins to change because the devil steps back and says to himself, I must now use my mega effort to try and rid the universe of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, once and for all by getting him illegally tried and illegally nailed to a cross. And there Jesus Christ would hang, and there Jesus Christ would die. And the devil stepped back and said, checkmate. But how many know that's when the real mega move occurred? Because early on Sunday morning, just a little before day, Mary came running to the tomb and found that the grave was empty, and there's an angel sitting on top of the tomb with a sign that said, hashtag, he ain't here. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, conquering all hell, death, and the grave. And that, my friend, is the final move. Come on, give Jesus one big hand of praise. I would have loved to have seen the devil's face that moment when he, all of his plans went out the window and he's, he's trying to piece all of this together like, Jesus, I don't understand. You were dead. This doesn't make any sense. How did this happen? To which Jesus responds in Revelations 1.18 by saying, hello from the other side. I was dead but now alive. Come on, I wonder, is there anybody in the room that's grateful that we have a God who is the risen Savior? Come on, he offers now salvation and hope and healing to everybody who calls on his name. <laughs> and it's amazing because at that point, you begin to understand a glimpse of what's been going on in your life. You see the history of the Bible, and you all of a sudden begin to understand, Maybe I now know what's been taking place in my life. Let me tell you what's been going on in your life. I'll tell you, it's been move, counter move, move, counter move. And you've been struggling with disappointment after disappointment. And then God shows up and then there's another, another travel, another tragedy, another problem. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, don't believe the lie. Because the devil, for some of you, has backed you into a corner and gotten you to believe that it's over. Don't sit there and believe that it's over as the devil stares at you claiming it's checkmate. I'm here to tell you there is a move that he has missed. It ain't over till God says it's over. And last time I checked, my Bible still says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There may be a move and there may be a counter move, but how many are grateful our God has the last move? This is not the time to quit and throw in the towel because of intimidation. This is the time to stop panicking and look back at the board. My message today, I want to help you because many people know what it's like to deal with disappointment. And for us, we know what that feels like and so do God's people all through Scripture. 
Jesus Christ we call one prearranged meeting after his resurrection. It's the only meeting called from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension. And we give his followers final marching orders. And in this moment, he told them to take the message of Jesus Christ and hope and healing and eternal life to the planet. And then in Acts 2, he gave them the power to do it. Is he leaving? Hey, let me just tell you, God loves that guy too. He has a plan for that guy. And even in a moment like this, God wants to speak to every heart, every life, because God is working. And there are moments where it doesn't look good. There are moments in life where you begin to wonder, what in the world is God doing? Is this, is this even possible for me to recover? And I'm just here to tell you, I love impossible situations because that's when God steps in. How many have ever wondered what God was up to? Anybody in the room? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever wondered. Like, what? where is God? What is he doing? I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's the moment God steps in. And for us, we have seen all through Scripture as people begin to deal with impossible situations. And they find themselves very frustrated and re ready to throw in the towel. And we don't know what that man was going through. He might be broken on the inside. He might have had a, a hurt or a wound. And some of God's greatest people all understand what it feels like to be tired of it all. But many times through the Bible we have seen people who were tired of it all. And God steps in. And in the moment that God steps in, they place their faith in him. And God moves in impossible situations that gives them faith for their tomorrow. Does anybody believe that today? Allow me to share with you our story. My wife and I started our church 13 years ago with 22 people in a living room. And we met, first of all, in a cafetorium. That's not even a word. That's a cafeteria with a stage. We just wrote, it's like a primary school, elementary school cafeteria. We'd walk in and, and then it smelled like, you know, gym socks and that old box of clothes, lost and found clothes that every school has. How many remember that? You remember that? So we walk in, we start setting up, and we need 100 chairs. And so I get 100 chairs, not like the comfortable ones here, but I go to a hardware store and I pick up a picnic chairs. They have two types of chairs. They have the, the $1 chair or the $3 chair. Which one do you think I got? I went to $1 chair. Of course, I'm a church planner, baby. So I got a $1 chair. They stack high up to heaven. I mean, you could do anything with these chairs. And I, I'm preaching one day in the middle of my message. I'm preaching. And this, this guy, like in the general area, he leans back. Now, time out. If you're over a certain weight limit, you should just know you can't lean back in a picnic chair. And I'm pre as I'm preaching, I'm like, hey, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And the legs just go, bang. And he falls in the middle of my message. Not like Acts 10 with Cornelius. It wasn't the Holy Spirit at all. It was just, I mean, I felt so bad. I, I stop. I'm like, I don't want to bring attention to him, but I don't, I don't want to ignore him either. I'm like, are you, are you okay, brother? You good? Like, I just try to, try to preach after that. We're, we're meeting, and then, get this, we're, we're trying to do church. We're functioning. We're, we're, we're trying to work it all out, navigate through this new church plant. What does this look like? I'm 24 years old at the time. And then I have struggled with something my entire life, which is fear and, and anxiety. And then I get to a place where 
13 years old, I start getting pains in my stomach. And I don't mean like a little bit. I mean, I mean pains that hurt so badly. I'm on the ground. And the older I get, the more frequent they become. To the point where I'm 24 years old and they're happening every couple weeks. I'm on the floor in the fetal position. I had, had, had a, our, our drummer had to come and dress me and take me to the hospital. I, I lost so many, so much pounds, so, many, so much weight because this, this anxiety and this pain. And, and, and all of a sudden, for three weeks, they were about to do exploratory surgery. They diagnosed it as ulcerative colitis, which is a disorder. It's actually something that's very, very serious. It's the inflammation of the colon. And I have some friends who've had this, and they've had their colon removed, and they now have a colostomy bag. All of this is going on three months into the church. People asking, what's happening in the church? I don't know. Who's preaching on Sunday? I don't know. Where's this going to go? I don't know. All I know is I'm in the hospital. Nothing to eat, but nothing to even drink, just drugs. For three weeks, I'm down to 125 pounds which I think is 56 kilos, and I'm just, I'm now skin and bones, and I'm, I'm freaking out. I thought, God, you had a great plan for our church. I thought you were going to use us in a great way. What do we got to do? And in that moment, I met a lady, and she said she's had children, and she's had ulcerative colitis, and she told me, Sean, the pains of ulcerative colitis are worse than childbirth. And so I threw that in my wife's face. I was like, don't even talk to me about pain. You don't even know. <laughs> we struggled with that for a long time. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus healed my body. I have not had a pain in 13 years. To God be the glory. What was going on? It was move, counter move. We come back and the school system makes us move every year. They make a new law. We're meeting in schools. They make us move every year. We moved nine times in eight years as a church. We thought about changing our name to Church on the Move. Like if you can find us, you can worship with us. I mean, other than that, you to have to use your discernment. We go into this one theater. It's a theater at a school. It's a high school. And it's amazing because... I think this is going to be great. It's, we're out of the cafetoriums, and this is fantastic, but they don't give us any rooms for kids. So our kids' areas are on the other side of this humongous campus. Like, by the time parents came back, like, by the time they came back to, to, to church from checking their kids in, church was over. <laughs> and it would be so hot. The air would break in, the air conditioner would break in the summertime. And not only would the air break, the heater would come on. I don't mean one Sunday. I mean every Sunday the heater's coming on. It'd be 100 degrees outside, which is like, I think it's 37 degrees Celsius. And then on the inside, even hotter than that. I felt so sorry for our greeters, man. They're just drenching in sweat. You know, they're putting deodorant on their foreheads. And they're passing out bulletins at the front door like, hey, how's it going? It's going to be great day today. It just, people would walk into this cloud. You ever walked into like a, a hot building? You just walk in in this cloud of hotness. They would just walk in and be like, oh, no, this is way too hot. I love Jesus, but this feels like hell. I mean, I would, they would leave church. And I'd say, no, don't go. No, don't go. I don't want you to leave. And many people don't know this. But in that moment, our church grew to about 300 and it just plateaued. It just stopped. Year three, four, five, six, no growth. And as a pastor, I begin to pray these prayers that I didn't tell anybody. I pray, God. 
who do I need to bring in to take this church to where it needs to go? Because apparently I've hit my lid. Like, what do you do? 300 people is a lot for some people. For other people, it's not. It's just where we were. But, but for me, I felt like there was so much more inside of us that we were going to reach more people. And what do you do, ladies and gentlemen, when the dream inside of you is not matching the reality in front of you? I'll tell you what we wanted to do. We wanted to quit. We wanted to bail on the mission. We were frantically praying, God, who, just show me anybody. I'll give the church to anybody at this point. I was just praying, who is it, God, who is it? And God didn't show me anybody. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when there's the, the disappointment is overwhelming you? I'll tell you what we did. We started a prayer meeting. And I wish I could say it was super organized and anointed. Man, it was me on a keyboard just fumbling through prayer. It was like eight of us and six of them were my family. <laughs> but we banked on Jeremiah 33.3. This said, call to me. God said, call to me. I will answer and I'll show you great and marvelous things. It was in that moment that God began to give us strategies on how to build people. Instead of me doing it all and, and being the one-man band, God began, began to give us strategies on how to build people so that their lives are built and they're connected to their purpose and their passions and we're setting them loose in that to change the world. And God gave us relationships outside of our church with other great men and great leaders. And pretty soon our church in 2010 from 300 began to go to the next year 500, the next year 800, the next year 1100, next year 1600, then 2,400, and now over 3,000 people come every weekend to worship Jesus. Listen, listen, I know some of you are like, Sean, it's not about the numbers. No, 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 wait a second. It is about the numbers because every number represents a soul. Every, every soul has a story. These are hurting and broken people, and those cards in your seats should not be getting wrinkled in your, in your pocket. They ought to be given out today, like today, because you never know who's one invitation away who needs hurt, they're hurting and broken, and they need an answer. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the answer to every equation. Aren't you glad this church didn't stop reaching out before you got here? I'm telling you, you never know who's one invitation away. But God began to grow the church, and, and we're so excited about what God was doing. But here's my point. Okay, here's, I want you to write this down. It's the one point for the entire sermon, and that is this. Don't quit in the dip. Don't quit in the dip. For us, where would all these families be? Where would all the marriages be that have been healed and the families that have been restored if we would have quit back in 2010? It's not about me. It's about, it's about Jesus and it's about hurting and lost people. And coming to the place where we can serve people. God gave you a towel, and some of you are like, I'm ready to throw in a towel. God gave you a towel, but it wasn't for you to throw in. It was for you to get on your knees and wash the feet of people in the city. To serve people. To love people. To Him. It's what it's all about. And in this message, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know this is our story. And every one of you has a story where you were tempted to quit. You might be there now. The disappointment might be overwhelming and you're thinking, I want to quit. You'll always have a, a temptation to quit. You'll always have a reason to give up. And there might be a time to quit, but it's usually not when you think it is. That's why we have Galatians 6, 9 that says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. Somebody say, do not quit in the dip. So our church was growing and then all of a sudden, 
we begin to look around and say, God, we're still portable. We were portable for 13 years, setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down. We went from two services to three, from three to four, from four to five services on a Sunday with no permanent home. We have three rooms for kids, and the church is growing, and what do we do? And I looked at a building, and I said, God, if that building ever came for sale, that would make a great church. It was called an Orchard Supply Hardware Store, O-S-H, big O-S-H on the front of it. And so one day it became for sale, and I made an offer. And the guy looked at me, the owner said, he wanted $5.9 million. I said, I'll give you 3.5. How many know, love a good hustle? I'll give you $20 and a Nando's gift card. Come on. <laughs> like, we're just trying to get as cheap as we possibly can. And, and we no, negotiated somewhere in the middle, and he agreed on the price. And as soon as I put $50,000 in title, he signed a contract with somebody else. Now, listen, listen, listen. We've been portable for 13 years. We've been praying, and, and there's been so much disappointment because every, every time we go to make an offer on a place, God shuts the door. Every time we go over here, God closes the door. We think this is it. He signs a contract with somebody else. And I'm like, that is so messed up. I was so angry on the inside. And then that deal didn't go through. He comes, comes back to us and says, hey, that deal didn't go through, but let's keep our deal on. And I was like, that was messed up, but okay. And now we, we negotiate, and he says, give me $50,000 in cash and not in title. And I'm like, you're on drugs. There's no way I'm giving you $50,000 in cash. Turns out he couldn't afford his payments. He surrendered the keys to the bank, foreclosed. We, we now shift our conversations to the bank. The bank is saying, Sean, looks good. We've never seen a church grow this fast. This is awesome. All you need is the, is the, yes, from, is the yes from your tenant next to you, which is, a, is Staples office supply chain. So I talk to somebody high up in Staples. They say, yeah, no problem. All you need to do is write us a letter. We do this all the time. I'm like, awesome. This is great. Look at God straightening the crooked paths. I get a letter back that says no. I said, well, what do you mean no? And they said, well, you're not a benefit to us. And I said, well, I'll be a benefit. I'll buy all my markers there. <laughs> and they say, you're not a benefit to us. The answer is no. I write back another letter. And I'm like, please, I know you're the lowest producing store in the region. I know you're probably going to close in three years when your lease is up. Allow us to pay you $150,000 U.S. dollars just for you to say yes, and we can move in next door to you. They gave me a letter, ladies and gentlemen. This is after a year of negotiations, a year of building our faith, a year of praying. And this is the letter I get. Let's show this on the screen. This is from Staples. Please be advised that Staples' position remains firm, and this shall serve as a final notice of Staples' denial of such requests. Is there a word that stands out to anybody in the, in the letter? Like, they put it in bold letters and underlined. You didn't have to underline it, Staples. That was messed up. Look at me, everybody. I didn't know what to do. I was so incredibly disappointed. I, it hurt. I, I got the wind knocked out. It, the letter took the wind out of me. I was so angry because we've been, we've been searching for so long. And I was so mad and so angry. And I raised my fist and I punched my bed because it was soft. <laughs> so angry. Some of you hit walls. I'm not, I'm not that guy. But I literally heard a voice that said, it is now physically impossible. And then my wife, she leans over. She's like, it's going to be okay. God's got this. And I'm like, thank you, Miss Holy Spirit. Appreciate you, woman of faith. 
Right now, I don't see it. The voice said, it's now physically impossible. And that's when God said this. I felt him say this in my spirit. He said, that's when I just start getting to work. That next Sunday, I stand up in our church. I'm like, hey, guys, uh, this is what's been going on the last year. Uh, they said, no, here's the letter. I don't know what to do, but I gotta, as a pastor, i got to have the freedom to try some stuff. Who would, who would write a letter to Staples with me and just, and just ask the CEO to change his mind? Ushers, could you come down in and, and their self-stressed envelopes? I mean, I wish I could say the church was like, yeah, come on. Hands are like, okay. <laughs> Our church is filled with faith, let me just tell you. Like, oh, they're like, all right, okay, I guess. First Sunday, we wrote letters. Second Sunday, wrote letters. Third Sunday, I'm like, hey, guys, let's just keep it going. This is awesome. God's going to do something great. I didn't know what to I said, don't be nasty. Just be nice and say we'd like you to reconsider. Three Sundays of writing letters. Then Tuesday, I fly to a conference, and I get a text, did you hear? And I said, hear what? And they said, Staples changed their mind. This is what the letter said. Their letter to me said, our office has been flooded with letters. It's not falling on deaf ears. We've reconsidered our position. And, and they didn't take our $150,000. Come on, let's give God glory, everybody. Now God has given us a 43,000 square foot building. It seats 1,000 people. I don't know if we have that video clip. Is that? Let's play. Here's a 15-second clip of our grand opening. That's what God did, everybody, for us. And afterwards, a lady came up to me. She said, Sean, I didn't think that was going to work. I thought it was a stupid idea. But you're my pastor. You told me to write a letter, so I did. Here's what she said. And now what I've seen God do here, I can have faith to believe God for my family. Let me tell you, our story has been move, counter move, move, counter move. And God has been in the midst of the entire thing. And it, it, some days it didn't look good. Some days it looked really, really bad, but I'm here to tell you, God has given us now a hardware store. <laughs> it used to be a place where people came to get tools to fix their homes. Now it's a place where people come to get tools to fix their lives in Jesus' name. <laughs> but this, I didn't come to preach to you about a building. I'm just giving you our story. This is what God did for us. He, it really was just a sermon illustration to let you know what God wants to do in your life. Because God has a perfect plan. He has a will. He has a timing. And I'm just telling you, there's so many days where it, I, it looks bad. I'm here to tell you, I don't care how bad it may look. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care if, it's, oh, if it looks like it's over your head. On our building, it had OSH, Orchard Supply Hardware Store, OSH, real big. And I said, that doesn't stand for that. It stands for over Sean's head. <laughs> this whole project's been over my head. But I'm so grateful it's not over God's head. Come on, how many are grateful that what's impossible with man is possible with God? Aren't you grateful he's bigger than your dip? Well, what is it in your life? Where has the devil backed you into a corner and gotten you to believe that it's over? That, that you can't win and that you'll never succeed? For some of you, this, it's your marriage. 
You're like, man, we're going to have a divorce. There's just nothing we can do about it. Maybe your kids, maybe your finances or your dreams or the business idea or your feeling, I'm going to be lost and alone forever. And I know the, the facts start stacking up against you. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, our God's not limited to the facts. Our God's bigger than the facts. Our God steps over the facts and says your marriage can be healed. Your kids can come to know Jesus Christ. That dream can be reawakened and you will not be alone for the rest of your life. God has hope and healing for your life. But it's so important that you don't quit in the dip because it's so possible for us to just lean back and say, man, I'm just going to quit. It, it, always, it always makes sense to quit in the dip. Always. It always looks good to quit in the dip. It just makes sense to quit in the dip. But I'm telling you, don't quit in the dip. Your view is obstructed by your problem in the dip. You need to look past your dip and see the God who is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Your destiny is on the other side of your dip. And there are people waiting on the other side of your dip. Joseph was a man who knew what this felt like. He had a dream that God gave him, and it was 13 years delayed. That's a long time. He was... He was thrown in a pit by his brothers. He was human trafficked. He was falsely accused, thrown in prison. If anybody could quit in the dip, if anybody had reason to quit, it was Joseph. He didn't quit in the dip. Matter of fact, he surrendered what he had to God, and God would elevate him to become the second greatest leader in the most powerful nation of the world at that time. It's amazing because in that moment, his brothers come. Remember the ones who threw him into a pit. And now they're begging for food in front of him. And as they're begging for food, the Bible says they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph's now giving, distributing food. He's been in Egypt for all these years. They didn't recognize him. He's had, you know, he has the, the Egyptian garb on. He's probably got some Mac eyeliner makeup going on. And in a moment where he could have taken revenge on his brothers, in a moment where he could have killed his brothers, caused him so much disappointment, Joseph did something else. You've heard of 2020 vision? 2020 vision? Let me give you 5020 vision. Genesis 5020. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, You intended to harm me. You meant evil against me, but here, here's what God did. God meant it for good. Not just for me. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Any blessing that God gives you is not just for you. It's for the purpose of saving many lives. In your pit, you can't see those other people, but they're waiting. They are counting on you to get out of your pit. For some of you, you feel stuck. The disappointment has been so great, you feel stuck. Can I just tell you very gently, you're not stuck. You just stop moving. And I know you're wondering, like, is it ever going to happen? Is this ever going to... Is it ever going to take place? Let me read you Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. God has an appointment for your life. He has an appointment with the vision and the fulfillment of that vision for your life. But the end, watch this, but the end, in the end, it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. 
You can bank on that, that God has a plan. He has a purpose. You are coming out of your dip. And I know it doesn't look good in the dip. I know for some of you, you're backed into a corner thinking it's over. Listen, please hear me. Please hear this tall, skinny American as I say, take one more look at the board. Allow God to give you the next move because you are coming out of this disappointment and your greatest days are ahead of you. Amen, everybody. Come on, if you believe it, give Jesus one big hand of praise today. I believe that for you. Would you stand with me today? With every eye closed and every head bowed, just for a moment. I wonder if you're here today and you feel like you're distant from God. For some of you, you feel, you feel like God is a million miles away. I'd like to lead you in a prayer that could be a commitment prayer where you can give your life back to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you, you used to be close to God, but to be honest, you've drifted away. I know Australia has a lot of beaches, and my girls and I, we love to go to the beach, my wife. and Many times they start off right in front of me, just right there. About an hour later, they're way over here. I have to yell, girls, get back over here. They drifted. They didn't mean to. The current just took them there. Can I explain this? For a lot of you, you were once right in line with God, close to God. But to be honest, you've drifted. You're not as close as you once were. For some of you, life got busy. For others of you, you've made some bad choices, and you're wondering, is it, is it possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, God's saying, just come on back. Come on back. Let's realign. And I want to encourage you to do whatever you have to do to realign, reorder the stuff in your life so that God is first again. If you're here today and you say, that's me, on the count of three, I'd like you to do one, do one big favor. I'd like you to raise your hand and acknowledge, Sean, count me in that prayer when you, when you pray it, because I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Come on, one, all over the room, two, three, lift it up, lift it up. This, this is me, this is me. This is me. Be honest, this is me. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray this prayer out. I'd like us to pray this with all of our heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today, God, I give my life to you. Forgive me from all of my past. Wash me clean. Be my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I belong to you. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, I believe many of you have prayed that prayer and meant it. This team has a, some Bibles that they'd love to give you. You can see any of these greeters at the end on your way out. But I want to pray. I would be remiss if I didn't pray for people who felt like they were in a dip. Felt like you were ready to quit. If you've ever felt like quitting, you've ever felt like, man, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's finances, maybe it's kids, maybe it's your dreams, maybe it's the business idea, maybe, maybe it's ministry. I don't know. But if that's you, can we be honest and just slip a hand up and just say, yes, me, man, count me in that prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of us today. Okay, let me pray for you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that today would be a pivotal moment as we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. The war is won, but it's not over yet. And Jesus, I thank you that you have won the war. But we're, the, the game is still on until you come back, until, until you sound the buzzer. And I thank you that, Lord, even though the devil has lied to some of these to say that there's no more time on the clock, 
Lord, you're showing us today there's still time. There's still time to find God's lost kids. There's still time to, to, to fulfill purpose. And I pray that you'd resurrect dreams today. Pray that you'd heal marriages. I ask that, Lord, there would, there would be a fulfillment of promise, a season where we would walk into corporately and individually, that we could see the hand of God take us to the end of our journey with great grace and great growth. In Jesus' name, somebody say good amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for all those that prayed that prayer today? Great job.